Yeah, my name is Brad Smith. I am a uh, North Idaho director for the Idaho Conservation League in Sandpoint. In this episode of Your Wild Place, Brad and I talk about grizzly bears, the walkabouts they take, how they're starting to show up in places they haven't been seen in decades, and the importance of the Endangered Species Act in saving them. You know, and I think bears can be scary because um, it's common in our culture, you know, right as we're growing up to hear stories, even uh, stories uh, for kids about big bad wolf, you know, little red riding hood, three little bears, whatever that I think can instill a sense of fear about these creatures. And indeed we need to be um, cautious um, living in bear country about doing things to uh, limit potential conflicts with bears and, and keep people safe. Um, but we also have to realize they're, they're animals. Um, they deserve just as much as we do to live and to have a place. And so it's really, I think, incumbent upon us as a species uh, who has the ability to think about our actions and the moral implications to take care of other species. Quick disclaimer, the content was recorded in April. I'm Britta Meyerly, and this is Your Wild Place. Yeah, well, I, so I grew up in uh, North Idaho and I spent a lot of time uh, hiking in the Selkirks and in the Scotchman Peaks. And on one of my hikes in the Selkirks uh, in 2000, I was fortunate enough to see a mountain caribou at Beehive Lake up the Pack River, if you know where that is. And um, that got me really interested in wildlife um, because I had read about the plight of caribou, but I think sometimes unless you actually see these critters, uh, you don't appreciate them as much. So having seen that caribou gave me a greater appreciation for our native fish and wildlife species and uh, being a part of helping to recover them. Awesome. So how do grizzly bears fit into kind of that relationship with caribou, which are now no longer in North Idaho, unfortunately, um, mm -hmm. but caribou and the whole sort of ecosystem. Yeah, all these animals and of course the habitat and um, how we manage the landscape and these animals, it's all interrelated, right? They're all part of a bigger system. And as parts of the ecosystem, whether it's wildlife or habitat um, is taken away, then the overall ecosystem will not function as well as it would if those individual species or those individual habitats were no longer a part of it. So it's really important to protect um, individual species and individual habitats and areas uh, because it's all interrelated and interdependent. Bears are waking up and actually you may have seen some news this week about a bear, um, a grizzly bear that an Idaho Fish and Game Conservation Officer found tracks of uh, seven miles south of Grangeville. And of course that's an area where we haven't seen grizzly bears for decades. If you're curious where Grangeville is, it is in Idaho. 
It's straight east of the Washington, Oregon state line and is close to the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest. Uh, grizzly bears were extirpated from most of Idaho um, back in the 1940s, leaving us only with grizzly bears in the Selkirk Mountains, Cabinet Mountains, and of course the area down in southeast Idaho um, adjacent to Yellowstone National Park. But as we'll talk about today, uh, we're starting to see grizzly bears showing up in places that um, they haven't inhabited for a long time. Why are bears coming back? Yeah, well, the most important thing that happened was uh, grizzly bears were listed as a threatened species uh, in 1976, and that included our populations in the Selkirks, the Cabinet Yak ecosystem, and the Yellowstone ecosystem in Idaho, but also um, the population in Glacier and a very, very small population in North Cascades in Washington State. So that kind of put the brakes on um, extinction, which was the first thing that needed to happen, which was to stop the bleeding. And then once they were listed, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service, of course, developed uh, recovery plans for each of those ecosystems. So we've had recovery plans in place uh, in the Selkirks and in the Cabinet, uh, Cabinet Yak ecosystem, which includes the Scotchman Peaks, um, ever since the 1970s. And it has taken a long time to uh, see recovery in the Selkirk uh, ecosystem and the cabinet yak ecosystem because they're quite a bit smaller than say Yellowstone or Glacier um, and those areas too are divided by valley bottoms with people living in them so there's not as big of areas of grizzly bear habitat in the Selkirks and the cabinet yak ecosystems as there are say in Glacier or Yellowstone but we have seen um, the population is slowly coming back. Uh, you see modest growth rates in the Selkirks and in the Cabinet Yak ecosystems. Um, and I would say that we actually probably would have lost the grizzly bears that we have in the Cabinet Yak ecosystem and the Scotchman Peaks uh, had we not, uh, had the Fish and Wildlife Service not brought bears in to augment the population. Um, it was actually very close to disappearing in the Cabinet Mountains. And then uh, Fish and Wildlife Service started bringing in bears from, uh, from Glacier and uh, supplementing the population. Um, and there is uh, at least one uh, female that was brought in who was responsible for, I think, 12 or 13 of the offspring in the uh, cabinet yak ecosystem and that's out of a total of I think they estimate about 42 bears in the cabinet yak ecosystem right now. Well go yeah. her. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so she was very vital to keeping that population from uh, blinking out. All right on to the grizzly stories. Get it? Grizzly? Okay. This first story is about a bear from the Selkirks, which is a mountain range in North Idaho, Eastern Washington, and Southeastern British Columbia. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, we have these recovery areas and for a long time in North Idaho, 
Uh, it was very uncommon to see grizzly bears outside of the Selkirk Mountains, the Cabinet Mountains, or the Scotchman Peaks. And in recent years, we've started to see that change, and we're seeing bears venture into other areas of Idaho that we haven't seen them for decades. Um, so, for example, uh, down in the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest, which is south of us, uh, grizzly bears were um, considered uh, extirpated in the 1940s due to over hunting and trapping. Um, and also people didn't want them on the landscape at that time. And we haven't seen bears um, again there since the 1940s, but now we're starting to see grizzly bears venture into the Clearwater uh, and the Selway um, in places we haven't seen them for a long time because the habitat is still there. The bears have just been missing for a long time. Um, but in the first case that we really saw was in 2007 when a male grizzly bear that was actually from the Selkirks uh, went on a walkabout. That bear decided to cross um, either the Ponderé River or the Clark Fork River. We don't know which one. It crossed the Coeur d'Alene River. It crossed Interstate 90. It crossed the St. Joe River and crossed the North Fork of the Clearwater River and showed up in Kelly Creek. And if you're, if any of the listeners are into fly fishing, then you probably know about Kelly Creek, which is a blue ribbon cutthroat fishery down in the Clearwater. And this bear showed up in Kelly Creek. Um, unfortunately, that bear met a tragic end because a black bear hunter was out hunting for black bears and shot this grizzly bear, not knowing that it was a grizzly bear. Um, it was only when he came up on the bear and started looking at it that he realized his mistake. Uh, fortunately, that hunter did the responsible thing and contacted Idaho Fish and Game and let them know. And they were able to take a hair sample from this bear and test it. And that's how they knew that the bear came from the Selkirks. So that bear traveled quite a ways. I mean, that from here, from Sandpoint, that's a four and a half hour car ride. Um, for that bear, it was a much longer adventure. Uh, and that was really the first case that we saw since the 1940s of a confirmed grizzly bear down in that part of Idaho. There was also another case in 2013, and this bear was affectionately known as Ethel. And uh, I like it when we give names to some of these bears because it helps personify the, these stories. But Ethel was a female. Um, and as we'll see from most of these stories, they're, they're males, and, and males are more likely to go on walkabouts. Um, but in this case, we had a, a female grizzly bear who was from uh, the Hungry Horse area over in Montana, which is near Glacier National Park. She decided one day to take a walk and she headed for uh, the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene River. I had to see how far this was. It's a solid four hour drive. Granted, Ethel wasn't road walking, but she covered a few backcountry miles. So did Ethel have a tracker on her? Is that how they knew it was her? Or did she have like a, did they do ear takes then? 
I actually am not sure if Ethel had a collar, but um, needless to say, a lot of biologists were interested in what she was up to and they were following her. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, it's really unusual for the females to wander because my understanding is that they tend to stay close to their mother's home range and then the young males are the one that go on walkabouts generally. Yep. And of course, the males are out looking for lady friends and that's why they go are, are more likely to go on a walkabout. But uh, uh, sometimes the ladies go on walkabouts too. Apparently she decided that uh, the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene was lovely and she preferred the Hungry Horse area. Yeah, maybe she was an introvert. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I understand Ethel. <laughs> she went away from all those other bears in Glacier. Right. <laughs> oh, so here's another interesting story. Uh, and this is really close to the Scotchman's. So uh, friends of the Scotchman Peaks will appreciate this story, but um, in 2018, a, uh, a male who um, was actually an augmentation bear that had been released at Spar Lake, uh, he crossed over the Scotchman's and then swam across the Clark Fork River um, downstream from Cabinet Gorge Dam and showed up in the hills up above the Clark Fork River on the south side there. Um, hung around for a while, uh, kind of near... Noxon, and I think there was some local residents who were a little bit uh, nervous. Um, so they actually captured this bear, uh, fitted it with a radio collar, um, took him up to the Bull River, and then he said, this is not where I wanted to be, and he swam back across the Clark Fork River <laughs> and returned to the hills above Noxon. <laughs> He was, a, he was a bear who knew where he wanted to be. He knew where he wanted to be. Last walkabout story. This bear went on a long trip. Last year, we had a really interesting case of a walkabout where a male ventured farther than we'd ever seen in this country for a long time. Uh, there was a bear with a collar who was from the Cabinet Mountains. Uh, I think from the Cabinet Mountains Wilderness, to be more precise. And this collared bear was referred to as Bear 927. So Bear 927 woke up in the spring of 2019 and decided to go on his walkabout. <clears throat> and he decided to head for the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness. Uh, he had to cross the Clark Fork River um, we know from his collar that he went down uh, through Montana en route to the Subway Bitter Wilderness um, and showed up near DeBorgia, Montana. Uh, if you don't know where that is, then it's close to St. Regis, if you know where St. Regis is. Uh, when he got to I-90, um, he must have been a little bit intimidated, in, in, intimidated by the interstate because um, kind of stopped for a few days and kept coming back to the uh to the interstate and then he would kind of fall back into the woods for a while but eventually uh bear 927 crossed interstate 90 near near deborgia and then headed down uh near lolo pass crossed highway 12 and then went into the upper end of the selway bitter wilderness um 
and basically spent the summer in the Subway Bitter Wilderness, probably eating huckleberries. Uh, huckleberries are one of the grizzly bear's favorite food around here. And then in the fall, decided to come back, went back to the Cabinet Mountains and hibernated. Um, just talked to the Fish and Wildlife Service last week. He woke up recently. Uh, he's out of his den in the Cabinet Mountains and is still there. Uh, but he went on quite the adventure in uh, the summer of 2019. So we've heard a lot about the, some of the good and interesting stories of these bears, but there are also some stories of tragedy. Um, there's been at least eight different bears that we know of <clears throat> showing up in places like the Coeur d'Alene River drainage, the St. Joe River, the Clearwater, the Selway, outside of, of Grangeville. Um, but of these eight cases, at least three of those uh, were shot by black bear hunters. Um, so in, in these cases, uh, black bear hunters were out hunting for black bears. They, did, they assumed that there were no grizzly bears around. And when they shot these bears and came up on them, they realized their mistake and uh, they did the right thing by reporting. But um, I think this demonstrates that there needs to be a lot of education about the fact that grizzly bears really could show up in any part of Idaho now. And if you're a black bear hunter, you need to know how to tell the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear because grizzly bears are a federally protected species. So uh, don't assume because that bear um, uh, might look like a black bear because of its color that it is in fact a black bear because uh, color is not a reliable indicator of whether the bear is a black bear or a grizzly bear. The most reliable indicator is the hump over the shoulders. Uh, it could also have round ears and a dished out face. So those are some of the basic characteristics that you need to know to distinguish between the two. This episode of Your Wild Place is brought to you by Idaho Conservation League. Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation. With offices in Boise, Ketchum, and Sandpoint, we work hard and smart to protect the air you breathe, water you drink, and wildlife and wild places you and your family love. We are a conservation community working to keep Idaho the kind of special place you experienced as a child and to protect it for the next generation of children. Since 1973, ICL has connected people like you, people interested in conservation, to decision makers and to each other. Find out more about how you can get involved and become a member at www.idahoconservation.org. Like many of us, Brad's working from home right now. I asked him about that. Yeah, so I've been working at home since mid-March with, uh, my wife and my daughter, and uh, it's definitely taken some adaptation um, to try to work from home and to homeschool. But we're fortunate in that so far uh, we're healthy, we haven't gotten sick. And, uh, you know, 
I certainly feel for people that have lost their jobs. It's a, a unfortunate thing to um, not have work and not be able to put food on the table. And I've, I've been down that road before and it's a terrible place to be. And I hope for listeners that are out there uh, who don't have employment or can't pay their bills or put food on the table um, that you find relief. Thanks for listening to Your Wild Place, presented by Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness. For more information about the Friends, visit our website, scotchmanpeaks.org. This episode was sponsored by Idaho Conservation League and featured Brad Smith, the ICL North Idaho director. Find out more at idahoconservation.org. This, and honestly, all episodes, was edited by Ray Brown. The theme music was written and performed by Ben Olson and Katie Archer. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to Your Wild Place wherever you listen to podcasts.